So I moved here uh, 21 years ago. Moved here from Minnesota. I was the ripe old age of 29 at the time. Can you imagine me? I was worse at 29, I promise. Gary, it was, I was more difficult at 29 than I am even now, right? So that's saying something, okay? And Gary Kinneman uh, was a senior pastor at the time of what was then called Word of Grace. And then after Gary retired, it's now become uh, Hillsong and the Mesa area. But, but back then, uh, the church was about 4,500 people. And um, I was hired on to with the staff and moved here to Arizona. And honestly, I only think, thought I'd be here for a little while. I thought, you know, three, four, five years or so, I never thought I'd still be in Arizona. And it all started because uh, Gary and that team, that staff, took a risk, took a chance on me, and I learned so much in my time at Word of Grace, so much from the church, but so much from, from Gary, who in the years after Word of Grace has become just a great friend, a great supporter. He, is, he has given me a lot of wisdom and even some companionship through some of the difficult th- seasons of my life. Um, but he's a, a, a real gift. Um, and he pastored Word of Grace for 25 years. Now, I, I want to tell you a little story, though, that I heard Thursday night. Thursday night, um, heard the story that a couple years before I arrived at Word of Grace, uh, there was a guy, um, single dad, late 20s, um, lead singer, guitarist for a metal band, was very skeptical toward Jesus or church or any of it, and his daughter's mom said, well, I'm going to take our daughter to preschool over at Word of Grace. And he was like, no, no, this is a terrible idea. I'm going to start going to some Sunday mornings there so I can kind of like sit there and listen to these charlatans and, you know, kind of pick it apart and prove them wrong and why they're a bunch of fakes and frauds. And we, no, we're not taking our daughter to that preschool. And so he went, um, and he went again, and he went again, and he found himself And it's a big crowd, you know, so he went in and disappeared. He never had really any connection with folks, and he'd come in, and he'd listen to the service, listen to the sermon. Most of the time, it was Gary preaching, and about a year of him, you know, he's going to show them, right? (laughs) I think by then, he probably had, like, a change of heart. But in a year in, there was, as there was almost every week, there was an invitation to follow Jesus, to receive Christ, and he found himself standing, raising his hand, going forward to pray. Um, That was in 97, 98. And um, he's the guy that led worship for you this morning. Troy McDonald came to Christ. Yeah. Troy... Ah, there you go. Troy came to Christ, and, and Gary was the, was the pastor at that time, and now Troy is our worship pastor here at Hope. So what a great, cool connection. And will you guys give Pastor Gary Kinneman a warm Hope Covenant welcome this morning? Which is the cold? Which is cold? Oh, no. All my notes are rearranged. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Let's see if I get them in the right order. Did you get them in the right order, Doug? Yeah, all right. Um, This music, could you help with this music stand? It's a bit low. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, my name is Gary Kinneman, and how many, uh, how many of you have met me or I've met you uh, over the last, like, 50 years? All right, we got a few people. And um, 
I'm, I don't look as, I, you know, Doug and I look about the same age, but I'm a lot older than he is, so. <clears throat> yeah, so I was the pastor at Word of Grace Church for 25 years, and um, um, I just felt a need to make a change. I felt God wanted me to make a change, and the church needed a change, and so... So anyway, for the last 14 years now, I just 13, 14 years, I've I've been doing all kinds of ministry-related things. I, I had it, uh, five years with American Bible Society, did some work for them in the Phoenix area, I did several interims. <clears throat> like if Doug can't take it anymore, I'll come in and just preach for you, and uh, that's all. Because okay, all right. Uh, well, what I, I don't know if I tell this, Doug, often, you know, like I can say this to your church, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to be a pastor and, and, uh, and now I, I just get to share God's word and I don't have to deal with you people tomorrow. <laughs> it's a great story, Troy. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't remember that story. You maybe had told me, but at, the, at a particular Time. Did you, did you guys, were you, were you together when you came to Word of Grace? No. Did you meet there? No, no. Have you met? <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of snu- Oh, okay. Okay, known him for five years. You're kind of snuggly, you know him pretty well. Yeah, there you go. All right. And by the way, I really appreciate. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, uh, my wife and I have been married this year. Uh, our this is how old we are. My wife and I have been married this year. We're celebrating our fiftieth wedding anniversary. Do I look that old? <laughs> and. Uh, <clears throat> We have, uh, we have three children. My oldest son, Dave, uh, is 47. And uh, they have three kids. And, uh, and um, my, my daughter, uh, my, my oldest son is in California. My daughter is in uh, D- Denver. They have four kids. And, and then my youngest son is, uh, he just turned 30. He turns 38 this week. And he's, he and his wife live in Temecula. And he commutes to San Diego because he's in the Navy. And uh, it's a long commute. But it's an interesting commute because the guy who commutes with him believes the earth is flat. (laughs) The guy's, yeah, he's in the Navy too. You don't have to be, you don't have to be highly educated to be in the Navy. Okay, although my, my son is, does have a college degree. So anybody in the Navy, anybody who have any Navy vets here? All right, anchors away, my boys. Yeah, he, he's got a really, diff, my youngest son has a really tough job in the Navy. He pl- you did? Yeah, in the Navy, that's right. The guy is in the Navy and he thinks the world is flat. Well, the problem is he's in the band. My son is in the band and they don't do a lot of sailing, but, you know, but uh, they did. He did when he was in Japan. He did a lot of sailing. Uh, he's got he got a surface warfare pin, which is kind of unusual for the band. So uh, anyway, let's close in prayer. 
Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for Doug and Heidi and uh, their service here and, and all the good things that you've done in this community. And I just, uh, I, I just drive by churches and I, I, you know, I, just, I don't even know who's there, but I just know somebody is serving. And uh, sometimes you buy churches just in the middle of nowhere and I know somebody there is serving and people are gathering in your name and in, around your word. And Lord, I pray for your blessing on this church and I pray, God, that you'll open our hearts to your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Uh, it's a funny word. What is that? Um, Today is Pentecost Sunday, 40 years, 40, 40 weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit came on a, a Jewish feast day called Pentecost. It was, that's a Greek word that means 50, uh, really. And it was 50 days, actually, seven weeks plus one day, seven times. You know, all the numbers in the Bible are really cool. Seven weeks plus one day, the Holy Spirit came on the early church, and the church was born. Uh, the story is told in the first couple chapters of Acts, the book of Acts, and uh, let's, uh, let's look at uh, Acts chapter two. I'll just read the text. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, and I've highlighted these words, I think, yep, uh, a sound like a blowing, uh, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they, when they heard this sound, a crowd became, began to gather, came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And I've highlighted these words because I want to talk today about what I call the windy side of God. God is not in a box, all right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't fit our molds or our expectations. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and that's the windy side of God, the wind came into this upper room, uh, we're talking about a way not just to understand God, but to experience God. And so the way the Holy Spirit works creates amazement and perplexity. It just, it just doesn't sometimes fit with us. People were amazed and perplexed. Just look at the person next to you right now. Just, just look at them and, and just say to them, you, you amaze and perplex me. <laughs> You see, this is God working. He brought you together. What was he thinking? My wife and I, for 50 years, you know, have, have you heard people married for a long time say this? We, we never, we haven't ever said the D word, divorce. But we wanted to kill each other. You know, so, you know, and this is perplexing, right? You know, people want God to be understandable. What, what in life is understandable? Life is full of perplexing situations and amazing. And, it's, and then they ask they, they asked one another, what does this mean? Somehow other, somehow ever, made fun of them. See, th this is how wild this was. They made, made fun of them. 
and said they have had too much wine. So when I say Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind? An invisible force? Uh, Part of God, you know, part of God. I'm not really sure how God has parts, but anyway, part of God. The power of God, uh, tent meetings, healing and speaking in tongues, amazed and perplexed, and and people make fun, fun of that, you know? Crazy Pentecostal people. What, what comes to your mind? Some of you are going, uh, can we get this over? You know, uh, you know may, maybe your mind is just a great big blank right at this moment. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? You know, we, we need to know that. So I've got a little bit of theology here I'm going to read and it's in, your, it's in your notes if you've got a copy at the door. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. Uh, the Trinity, the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity d- didn't really get clarified until about 350 years after the birth of Christ. That's how mysterious the Trinity it is. And there were major theological arguments. Because, and, and it really came out of this idea that Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, is he God? And if he's God, who's the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh? And how do they fit together? It took 350 years. So... Uh, this alone is a mystery, the nature of God. I mean, some people accuse us that Christians, that we, Muslims would accuse us of having three gods, the Father God, the Son God, and the Spirit God. So, <clears throat> but we believe in a triune God, and it is a great mystery. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force or a symbol. The Holy Spirit has his own unique identity, purpose, and ministry. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present in the seven days of creation. Uh, It says, uh, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. And the earth uh, was formless and void and empty. And it says, the Spirit of the Lord brooded over the waters, you know, over the darkness. And that's the Hebrew word, ruach. And so it's like there's something about God's presence you know, God is, is always there, but then sometimes it's his special presence, and God now, his special presence is coming into this chaotic, primeval world, and, and God said, let there be light. And it's the Ruach, the Spirit of God, who was there with God at the very beginning. Um, <clears throat> he is the one who makes God real to us. He was the manifestation of the presence of God, the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, as the Hebrews called it, symbolized by the anointing oil, his presence and power were poured out on the great prophets, priests, and kings of Israel. All through the Bible, there are stories, narratives, about how God, God's special presence visits people, and the Holy Spirit falls on people, and people have an encounter, an experience, uh, and I'm going to be focusing on this in this message today. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about something about God that is so mysterious and so, uh, so unusual and so perplexing. It's so perplexing and unusual that some people just laugh. Because, you know, if you can't understand something, it's sort of dumb and funny. So, I, you know, I, I often think what you know, what uh, Saturday Night Live, what a skit could do with Pentecostal Christianity, you know? See, you're laughing just to think about it. 
So uh, anyway, in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is the agent of the virgin conception of Christ and is referred to as the wind of God, the water of life, and the comforter. He is the one through whose power through whose power we are born again. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the one who prays for us, who works into us and out of us the life and character of Christ. And what is that? The fruit of the, of the Spirit. Uh, he is rather seen as God's personal, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, and he guarantees our final salvation. Now in the Old Testament, the Hebrew term translated spirit is ruach, it, the term occurs 387 times in the Old Testament, usually as a feminine noun. And some people have, have suggested that there's something about the Holy Spirit that represents perhaps the feminine side of God. God is neither male nor female. And when he created us in his image, he created us in his image, his image is male and female. In the image of God created he them, male and female. So a lot of people don't talk about this, and I know it can be really controversial, but uh, there's a sense, the Holy Spirit, there's this sensitivity. You think about God, the judge, he sits on a throne, he's got rules, he's gonna hold you accountable. And then there's the Holy Spirit, uh, whom Jesus, to whom Jesus refers as the comforter. He's the comforter. See? So, uh, the term occurs 387 times in the Old Testament. The basic idea of ruach, uh, Greek is pneuma, is air in motion, air in motion. Um, specifically in the Old Testament, the spirit does not appear as a divine being. He is rather seen as God's personal presence and intervention. So there are many things about the Holy Spirit that we can know and understand, but there is also something terribly mysterious. We can understand the idea of a heavenly father and Jesus the son was and is one of us. He was made flesh, but the Holy Spirit is less definable, if I may use that term. So the Bible uses images and symbols, uh, most notably river, fire, and wind. So, so the Bible doesn't give us like of point-by-point point outline and theology of how this third person of the Trinity functions. It, it's just, uh, he's really not defined. But, but the Bible uses these powerful images and figures of speech. So I like to say this, the work of the Holy Spirit is not always, the work of the Holy Spirit is always evident, but not definable. And, you know, oddly enough, this is what we want in life. Uh, we, we think we want definition and explanations. But the reality is that, that we, want, uh, we, we want to know that we're loved and that we want the peace of God that passes all understanding to hold our, our hearts, our emotions, and our minds in, in focus. How, how many of you uh, have... How many of you have raised children, you're raising children, or you've seen children? <laughs> How many of you have, have had children that have used this really important word? Why? How many of you have you heard that? It's not a why, it's a whine, right? How many of you have heard, and, and how many of you have actually tried to answer the question? Has it ever helped? You know, you have a long explanation. You quote Bible verses, 
And the why turns into two words. But why? You know, because, you know, we don't just need explanations. You know, I, um, I, I can't escape this because it's so much a part of my life now. But my, we went through a dreadful year last, night, last year, and it wasn't just COVID. My son lost his wife to brain cancer. Do you think anybody in our family has asked the question, why? Scientifically, there are reasons. You know, she had an astrocytoma that morphed into a, gli- a glioblastoma. And she fought it for 41 months. If, you're, if your child falls, you're learning to ride their bicycle, and they crash, and they cry, do you, do you talk to them about gravity, the science of gravity, and... And the human body, how if you slide on concrete that can like rip your skin open, do you do that? Or you just give them a hug? You know? And I, I think that in our, in our world, in our Christian world, we focus a lot on content. And, uh, you know, we got to study the Bible. I was working for American Bible Society and they never talked so much about studying the Bible. They talked about Bible engagement, where you're not just getting information about God, but you are engaging with the God who gave you his word. It just takes it to a whole new level. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he said, he's talking to the Jewish uh, religious leaders, and he says, uh, he says, you are searching the scripture. In the King James, it's actually, in the old Bible, it's actually a command. It sounds like it's a command. Search the scriptures. I remember I've seen that banner in churches, search the scriptures. But Jesus wasn't telling them to search the scriptures. They were obsessive about searching the scriptures. It's really a statement. It's an indictment. He says, you are searching the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, which which suggests to me, you know, if you get doctrine right, you're going to go to heaven. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and doctrinal correctness. You know, what, why, do, why do people search the scripture trying to find secrets? Jesus says, you, you're searching the scripture because you, scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but they, they're about me. So every time you read the scripture, you've got to kind of put all the, all the stuff that you're supposed to do and all the stuff that makes you guilty and just look right through that and see Jesus saying, I'm here to be that in you. So, the whole work of the Holy Spirit is, is always evident, but it's not definable. And I, I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, Troy did not come uh, to know the Lord because, because I, I preached convinc- uh, conv- convincing and uh, theoretically correct messages. You know, there's something that's higher than that when you just you kind of know. You just, you just know. We look not to the things that are seen, the Bible says, but the things that are not, cannot be seen because the things that we see are transient. They're going to pass away, but the things that we can't see are eternal. We live by faith and not by sight. See? And that's, that is really tough, okay? So uh, I've got this kind of little, um, these little columns there in your notes, the two sides of God. So there's the doctrinal side, and there's the windy side. 
uh, in, un, under the doctrinal side, God, we talk, we talk about God's omnipresence, you know, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and all of those, we can define those. We can actually understand those words, okay? It, it becomes a matter of content. And I believe in content. I have two seminary degrees, okay? And then on the other hand, there's the windy side of God. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You can't put it in a box, you know. Um, so there's a, the doctrinal side of God is about facts, getting a, getting the correct understanding. But um, when we come to the windy side of God, it's it's about feelings. The the, the doctrinal side of God is predictable and definable. Um, the windy side of God is unpredictable and mysterious. Uh, it, doctrinal side of God never changes. Uh, he, he is immutable. We say that when we talk about the attributes of God. He's immutable. He never changes. But there's something about the way he works that he comes and he goes. You know? So remember these words from Pentecost. Okay, Remember, utterly amazed, amazed and perplexed, and some made fun of them. I can't emphasize this enough. The windy side of God is so counterintuitive to people who live in the Western world where the supernatural is something that we see in Avenger movies or horror flicks. The work of the Holy Spirit is mysterious, unpredictable, transcendent, above time and space. The Holy Spirit working in your life is an encounter with the reality of God in heaven. And this is troubling to Americans who want everything explained, especially American Christians who attend churches where everything is explained. You have no idea how my son David, who has wide influence in the Christian community, when he put up... Uh, he's got a national, international ministry. When he put up his website, prayforjill.com, to tell everybody that they found out that my daughter-in-law had ca brain cancer, he got 10,000 hits the first week. You can't imagine how many people sent him notes and texts trying to explain why this is happening or how to fix it. In fact, he told us, especially his mom, Please stop making suggestions how we can cure Jill, about how we can cure Jill. Some people say, well, that, that's, that, sounds, that doesn't sound like faith. You know? Because, you know, we want explanations. Read the first book in the Bible. It shouldn't be the first, the oldest book in the Bible. It shouldn't be called the book of Job. It should be the questions of, ex, the, the book of explanations. And his, but Job's friends drove him crazy. And then God steps in at the very end and basically he doesn't answer the questions. He just says, who are you a man to talk back to God? So, you know, this is really hard for us. Um, miracles happen. Okay? Listen, miracles happen. I mean, I can't always explain it, why they happen in some places, why they don't happen in others. Or the, the, why the wind of the Spirit is nowhere to be found. Next, the next day is windy. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, I, I love this. People come to church for two reasons. They come to church for perspective, because their lives are scrambled. And they come to church 
to experience God. Okay? If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of the hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, I really love this little phrase. Say it with me. God is really among you. They don't say, boy, are you smart. You know a lot about the Christian religion. God is really among you. <clears throat> I had a guy that came to our church, um, and he was one of those kinds of people who um, I would refer to other people on my staff. Um, <clears throat> Bob was an intense guy. Uh, you, know, was, you know, some people, they're just, they're seen. And it's Bob, he was a biker, and he, was tat, he had tats before tats were cool for everybody, and they were, you know, he wore a shirt with no sleeves, came to church, skinhead, he had a monster. I mean, it was his, his chopper was like from here to the end of the platform. And, and, uh, and he had tattoos that were, were threatening. Like, say the wrong thing and I'm going to kill you. Something like that, you know. And uh, Bob was coming to the church. He just kept coming and he, you know... I, I, would ha- I had Dave Morgan, he was, he was a guy who'd come through a lot of stuff in life. I'd, you know, I'd say, you know, Dave, can you talk to this brother? And he was in re- Dave was in recovery. And, and so, but this time Bob cornered me and he, he was kind of foaming at the mouth. I mean, he was really angry. He said, I don't know why I keep coming back to your church. Like, it's my fault, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then and he says, he says, uh, why, why, am I, why, why am I coming back here all the time? And, and when I go in there, and he pointed out, we were standing next to the door to the worship center, he said, whenever I go in there, I just start crying. What the hell is that? That's what he said. Is it okay? We can talk about hell in church, can't we? All right, so the first service was, uh, was not offended. Okay, so... <clears throat> They should be offended that you slept in. That's what we think. So, so anyway, you know, what, and I said, Bob, you know, I'm, I'm going, oh, man, you know, somebody, somebody's going to leave church because someone said a bad word in the lobby of the church. But I just said to Bob, I said, that, what is that? That's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God. And this was, this was perplexing to him, not my sermons are confusing, but why he cried in church was perplexing. And then Bob got saved. And foaming at the mouth Bob became bouncing brother Bob. And he was just happy all the time. And then he brought his son to church a few weeks later, who was mini Bob. He was a skinhead, wrote a chopper. And uh, then he got saved, you know, and his life was changed. And it wasn't about me explaining anything. Sometimes when we witness to people, talk to them about Jesus, we feel like it's our, what we think, our content against their content, and my content is more correct than your content. <clears throat> Paul said this, our, our gospel didn't come to you uh, in, in the words of human wisdom, and, cl- and, cl- and you know, cleverly in, 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 in human wisdom, but, but in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Um, I just, I've had these, I've, I've so many stories I could tell, 
But I was visiting someone in the hospital who, uh, I was visiting a brother's wife uh, and he had shot his wife. He was cleaning his gun and he shot his wife. And I visited them in the hospital and uh, he was cleared. I mean, it, it, it really was an accident. It was dreadful, and, and I was praying with him, and then, and then I, in the elevator down, there was an, another couple that got on the elevator about my age, and, and the woman, was, she just looked so distraught, and I just said, I said, uh, you, look, you look really, there's a lot of pain in, in your face, and she said, my mother is dying. And I said, well, I, and I asked her, uh, uh, you know, do you attend a church? She said, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, I'm not a Catholic, but I'm a pastor. Could I just pray for you? And, and so they, we got, got into the lobby, and I, I downstairs, the op, door opened, and I just said a simple prayer. And she just started crying. She threw her arms around me. I didn't ex- try to explain anything. She just needed the touch of God. Um, <clears throat> you know, my wife and I attend a Lutheran church now for, for the most part, and I'm actually preaching at this Lutheran church in two weeks. Uh, and... Uh, and they, they do the Catholic thing, you know. During the service, if you were raised in a Catholic family, uh, and during the service, everybody takes a moment to just to say hello, and what do you say to each other? Peace be with you. And I've thought a lot about that lately. I've, I've really, it's just sort of hit me lately that there's nothing that you can say to another person that's more powerful because everybody's life, like I said earlier, is just so scrambled. And, you know, just to know that there, may the peace of God be with you. See, peace be with you. I can tell you, every single one of you here today needs, needs to hear that. Say to the person next to you, peace be with you. Peace. And it's the peace of God that passes all understanding, all explanation. Uh, what, what was it that the Hebrews said to one another? Shalom. And shalom is not just like quietness and rest. Shalom in Hebrew, it doesn't just mean peace. It means may everything in your world be the way it should be. And it's never going to be, but we know that there is a world where everything is right. The coming of the Messiah in the Hebrew mind is the personification, the, the, revel, the re- revelation of everything now being right. The lion will lie down with the lamb. And in the book of Revelation, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more judgments. And we so desperately need that. And it won't come just by content. It comes by God's personal presence. So, <clears throat> look at John chapter 3, verse, verses 5 to 8, the windy side of God. Jesus answered to Nicodemus, he said, I tell you the truth, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everything, everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus was a highly educated 
Old Testament scholar. And you know what he said when Jesus said that? He said, that's perplexing. Do I have to go into my mother's womb and be born a second time? I mean, he was a brilliant man. He was an influential man. But the idea of just coming to Jesus like a little child and saying, I need your help. It wasn't in his capacity to do that. So the Bible doesn't give us a neatly defined theology of the special presence of God, but it uses amazing symbols and images. Wind, fire, wine, water. (laughs) Stuff comes to me when I'm preaching, Doug. I, I, I hope you learned this from me. And you're never sure if you should say it, and then you do. Go for it. How many of you like have a glass of wine once in a while? Okay, now some of you may be in recovery, don't have any. Please stay away from it. But yeah, and, and uh, why, why do we drink wine? I mean, it, it actually doesn't taste as good as Coke. <clears throat> why, why don't we have a glass? Oh, and, and what's with the second glass? Better than the first, yes. You don't have to worry so much about the taste. You just, you, it's what you feel in your heart and in your brain. You know, you know and the Holy Spirit, this is what they said on the day of Pentecost. These, these men are drunk, you know? And, um, it's, a, it's not a good thing, but, you know, it's something that overcomes us. And kind of, you know, we don't have to think about that. Talk about peace be with you. Here's a beer, you know. Um, so, and I'm not, you know, I'm not encouraging you to go, go out to lunch and have a beer because the pastor said, this is how I can find the peace of God. Okay? But... Um, the fact is that it's one of the images of the Holy Spirit, something that kind of takes over the Holy Spirit. So i got three little points here that I, I want to... Uh, uh, you can write some things in the blanks and, as we wrap this up. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the wind of God and the river of life. And I want to focus on this image from a, an ancient pa- a passage. And this is the theme of this passage. Wherever the river flows... Everything will live. <clears throat> There's life in the river. And, and that water brings life uh, to, to both sides of the river. So <clears throat> look at this passage, Ezekiel. He, he was one of the ancient prophets and was one of the most peculiar, eccentric, weird guys that people laughed at. Um, and this is a prophecy about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a prophecy about you, personally. Bill, Jason, Mary, Heather. Uh, the, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. So, you know, the, the temple is up on top of a mountain, and... Um, they didn't have running water. You know, where did this water come from? The temple in Jerusalem has never been, has never been damaged by a flood. Uh, I got a friend who's got a church in uh, Ahwatukee, and uh, it's uh, Mountain View Church. Mountain, uh, you know about this church, Doug? 
Yeah, it's Mountain View, I think. No, it's Mountain Park. Mountain Park, thank you. And uh, I preached there <laughs> one Sunday. And I preached on, you never know where the road of life is going to take you. And the next day, they had a flood that came washing down this little mountain and filled the church. It had, you know, it says sloped floor up to the platform and turned it into a swimming pool. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you never know where, where, the word of li- where, the, where the road of life is, is going to take you. And this is like the church and the water was coming into the church. But in this image, the water is coming out of the temple from the top of the mountain. And... Uh, for the temple faced east, and the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought, he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand. He measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was now ankle deep. So it's coming out from the south side, and the south side of the temple is the direction uh, the, the Jordan River in Israel flows south. And where does, where does the Jordan River end up? Who can tell me? In the Dead Sea, which is a salt, Salton Sea. Um, so he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. That is such an incredible image. For, for thousands of years, the Jordan River has flowed fresh water into the, the, salt, the Dead Sea, the Salton Sea. And for thousands of years, mega, m- mega acres of water have flowed down, the fresh water flowed down the Mississippi into the Gulf of Mexico and the Columbia River into the Pacific Ocean. And the salt water always wins. But this is water that works a miracle. Jesus turned water into wine and it's this fresh water is so fresh it turns the salt water fresh. And then I here's this phrase, I love it. So where the river flows, say it with me, where the river flows, everything there will live. Everything will live. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. The the river of the Spirit is a life-giving encounter. You can experience it, feel it, enfold you. Number two, the purpose of the river of God is for the healing of the nations. Look at Revelation chapter 22. We're going to see the same image here. John, uh, the apostle who wrote the book of Revelation, is really flashing back to Ezekiel's vision. He's seeing the same thing. And it says, Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So you have the Trinity here, the Father on the throne, the Lamb who shed his blood for our sins, and the river 
of God. Uh, the water, the river of the water of life. And it was flowing down the middle of the great street of the heavenly Jerusalem. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for what? The healing of the nations. The purpose of the river of God is for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Now, number three, <clears throat> this is now about you. When Jesus is Lord of your life, your heart becomes the throne of God. He becomes Lord of your life, right? So now, your heart, yeah, he's going to reign, he's going to rule on your, uh, on your, uh, in your life, right? And if you have a big fight in your family or with your boss or you, you get into a car wreck and it's somebody else's fault, you take Jesus off the throne and you put that problem on the throne of your life. And now the problem controls you because it's, it becomes Lord of your life. So I, I'm, I'm saying that when Jesus is Lord of your life, your heart becomes the throne of God. And when your heart is the throne of God, you become the very source of the river of, of life, the life of God for others. So when Jesus is on, on your, on your heart, in your heart, you become a fountain. I know this is kind of weird, but <laughs> what happens to you uh, in uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, what happens to you for the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is ruling in your life, is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see that? So when the Holy Spirit is coming, when Jesus comes into your life, the Holy Spirit, you know, you're, Jesus is Lord of your life, you, you get all the things that people long for. Righteousness, everything's right, shalom, peace, and joy. Now what happens through you? And this, to me, this is just mind-boggling. When you're at rest and you have Jesus on the throne of your life, you become a fountain. Um, I think when Jesus isn't on the throne of your life, sorry to have to say this, this just popped into my life, your, your, your life becomes a source of wastewater. There's another, another word I could use there, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> whoever believes in me, Jesus says, streams of living water will flow from within him and by this he meant what? The Spirit. See? All right, the river of the Holy Spirit is not just for you to satisfy your thirst, to refresh you and make you feel better about yourself. It's about ministry and service to others. Being as nice and as helpful as you can be, but being a reservoir of God life for them. You can be a reservoir of God life for the other people in your life. You don't have to tell them a thing. You don't have to argue with them about Christianity or something else. You can just let the river flow into their life. But it doesn't work well when you are out of sorts with the world. Then you, then you have wastewater. I, you know, some, I like to tell people, you know, you don't, you don't have to listen to any of this. You don't have to do any of this. You can just keep living your life. But I'm really here to help you. Okay? So, <clears throat> the river of the Holy Spirit is not just for you. It's about ministry and service to others. Not just being nice and helpful 
as helpful as you can be, but being a reservoir of God life. And I love this quote from Larry Crabb, feeling better about ourselves has become more important than finding God. <clears throat> like when you have two glasses of wine, you feel better about yourself, but it's harder to think about God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a violent, invading force. God's violent intrusion outside our experience. I believe we have to take this aspect of the Spirit very seriously today. We have grown used to expecting the Spirit of God to speak in a gentle whisper, not a roaring wind. We have sought him in the promptings of our hearts or in the resolutions of our board meetings. We're in danger of forgetting that it is God we're talking about, the God who created us, the God who sustains us and has sovereign rights over us. This God can and does break into human life, and sometimes he does it through the unexpected, the alien, the mighty wind of the Spirit. So I want to show you one more text. <clears throat> how, many, how many of you have heard... Uh, this little phrase, you know, that we, we're to study the Bible and teach the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. How many of you have heard that text? Okay. <clears throat> I just want to tell you that you, you've always heard it in a positive way. The text, is, this is actually a negative thing, and, and it's, it's the difference between religion and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, look at this. This is a prophecy now from Isaiah about the new covenant. And what, when did the new covenant begin? When the Holy Spirit came down and filled the people in that upper room in Jerusalem. This was the birth of the church. See? This is the new covenant. This is what began what, what Christians call the New Testament. And why it's why we're, why we're Christian, because we have the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, the Jewish people have the Old Testament. And we believe that the New Testament is about how the church was born. And how was it born? When the Holy Spirit came on those people in the upper room. And this is, this is a prophecy about that. <clears throat> Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. The Apostle Paul quotes that verse from Isaiah when he's writing 1 Corinthians and talking about speaking in tongues. And when did people speak in tongues? When the Holy Spirit came. All right, so uh, strange tongues, God will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. This is the place of repose. Peace be with you. You stressed out people. Your lives are scrambled. Peace be with you. Just take a deep breath Invite Jesus, say, come Holy Spirit, invite him into your life. See? This is the new covenant where Jesus becomes our Sabbath. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he wasn't just talking about people who finished concrete or built masonry buildings. It's about our lives. Come, um, Jesus, Jesus, son, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. See, peace. So this is the promise. This is a promise about the new covenant. And then it says to him, he said, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. You can do it your way. You can, you can freak out about stuff. 
You know, I, I, I have a nature, it's like my nature to freak out about stuff. I've had an anger problem in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm talking about me to you, for you. And, and, uh, but they would not listen. Like, it was like Mary and, and Martha, you know, Mary's sitting there listening to Jesus and Martha's just fixing the dinner and telling Mary, Mary, would you get up and help me in the kitchen? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things. You know, when Jesus calls your name twice, Martha, Martha, what's your name, bro? Adam, Adam. Maybe your wife does that once in a while, I don't know. If she didn't, doesn't your mother did. <laughs> so, so they would not listen, okay? We want to do it our way. So then look at this. This is a strange statement. So the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, so that as they go, they will fall backwards and will be injured and snared and captured. So you read the Bible, like I said this earlier, you read the Bible and you say, I can't do that, I've never done that, I think I'm going to hell. I think about that every time I read the Bible. Try this verse. Love is, do you remember the first two words, Doug, in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient and kind. How many of you may not go to heaven? <laughs> patient and kind. See? So instead, the word of the Lord becomes, we become driven by the Bible. Got to do this, got to do that. And the Bible becomes like a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we got to do this and we got to do that. And if we don't do this, then we're not going to get close to God. The Christian life is about resting. It is about shalom, abiding in Christ. And when you abide in Christ, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Could I ask you to stand? <clears throat> A not-so-Bible way to say this is, hey, dudes, chill out. <laughs> Could you just lift your hands to God? Nobody's going to laugh at you like they did on Pentecost, you know. Have, and just say this after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me the stress in my life. It's a sin because I'm not giving it to you. Jesus, Lord of my life, I pray for a peace in me and over me and out of me that passes all understanding. Forgive me for pushing you off the throne of my life. I do it so often. Fill me, Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And I want that not just for me, but for the other people in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Troy's going to lead us in a really perfect song for this message.